podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference. I'm your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us today. We are back after a bit of a break. Not an intentional, but just stuff happens. I am excited to be back here today. This show is loaded. It is fantastic. Parker Fleming and Keegan Renault joining the show. We are ranking the most important position groups in the Big 12. One through nine. All of them. Quarterback, cornerback, safety, wide receiver, linebacker. We're going to use this ranking to determine which position groups we will rank this offseason. So we're going to talk about who's going to have the best at these positions based off of these rankings today. Really, really good podcast. If you've listened to Keegan, if you've listened to Parker, if you've read their stuff, guys, this is a fantastic episode Two incredibly bright minds about college football on the show. This is great. Then, very excited to have the boys of College Baseball Nation back on the show. We're going to talk a little Big 12 baseball, talk about the team at the top, talk about the NCAA's decision to announce the regional host sites early, May 10th. May 10th. How does that impact the Big 12? The teams vying for the postseason, vying for a host spot in regional action. Two great interviews. Hope you're going to stick around for those few bits of information we need to get to before we get to those fantastic interviews. First up, big news on Wednesday. Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby told Sports Illustrated the league has eliminated its interconference transfer rule. So guess what? Chandler Morris can now go to TCU and play. Compete for the starting spot. He's not going to get it, but compete for the starting spot. So the rule is gone, just like the rest of college football, as we're seeing, ACC, AAC, the MAC, Pac-12, This new rule is pretty much going across college football. It's joining with the huge news from the NCAA, the news we've been waiting for forever and ever and ever, that we've been waiting to get announced, waiting to be final, waiting to be official. The one-time transfer policy is going into effect. This is right. This is how it should be. This is the kind of player empowerment that they should have. Absolutely. I am jacked for this. I am psyched for this. I am psyched for the players. Is it perfect? No. Is the transfer portal massive and a, and a bit of a mess this year? Absolutely. Is recruiting going to be a nightmare for the next couple of seasons because of COVID and because of all of this happening? Yes. Do I feel a little bit bad for these head coaches because you're asking guys who are just college football coaches to run multi-million dollar corporations that are just becoming more and more complicated? A little bit. But they also make millions of dollars to do it, so I feel a little less bad. This is a good day for college athletes. This is a good day for player empowerment. I understand if you were against it, that's fine. I, I know people who have been and were. And the more you talk with them, the more they start to come around and realize this is probably the right thing. If you're just a crotchety old curmudgeon who's absolutely locked in on, no, this is bad for college sports. That's fine. You be that way. I'm happy to talk with you about it if you want. Hit us up on the Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E and the number 12 podcast. I can talk about it on Instagram at 1012pod. Did you know we have a, an email? 1012podcast, T-E-N-1-2podcast at gmail.com. I'll respond to an email form if you want. Happy to talk about any of it with you. Happy to discuss it. Always fun to talk with people. And I do. I do respond to Twitter DMs. I do respond to 
ads on Twitter. I do respond to instant mess or DMs on Instagram. I will respond to all of them. It's a lot of fun for me. I really do. So Twitter at 1012podcast, T-E-N, number 12, the word podcast. On Instagram at 1012pod and in email form, 1012-T-E-N-1-2, the word podcast at gmail.com. We're going to talk more about all those things coming up on Sunday with Andy back on the pod and maybe Jamie, maybe a guest. We'll see what happens. Uh, a couple other things we need to hit. Uh, our bracket pool, it's done. It's over. We have our winners. The top three non-participants on this show get a prize. Congrats to Cowboy for Life on finishing third. You get a prize. Congrats to Rich uh, F27, who hits us up on Twitter all the time. We enjoy him. It's a big Mountaineer fan. Uh, finishing fourth, you get a prize. Chris finished second in our bracket. It's awesome, but he doesn't get a prize. DS Palmer. DS Palmer won the 1012 podcast pool. He gets the grand prize. The problem is that DS Palmer has not messaged us inside of the sleeper app. I've reached out to him. I don't know who he is. I don't know any contact information. So if you are DS Palmer and you can prove it, I've got a prize to send to you. I just need a name and an address to get it to you. I've got a gift card to Homefield Apparel, and I've got a bag of Lazy Fair Coffee to send your way, but I need to know who you are. So if you are DS Palmer, hit us up on the socials. Hit us up somehow. We've got an email address I just gave you. You can email us. I would love to be able to get your prize to you. Speaking of Homefield Apparel, the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel around is a sponsor here on the 1012 podcast and remains a sponsor here on the 1012 podcast and one we are thrilled to be partnered with. Not just because they make the most comfortable, awesome vintage college sports apparel, but because they have four Big 12 schools now. We've had Iowa State and Baylor. You've known about them. We've got Texas Tech. And now we have Oklahoma State. And these Oklahoma State shirts are awesome. I have two. I got two quickly. Pistol Pete, the vintage Pistol Pete, it's amazing. The Ride with Pride Oklahoma State t-shirt with Pistol Patty, a logo that never gets used anymore. The female Pistol Pete, Pistol Patty. Pistol Patty is awesome. I love this shirt. And they are as comfortable as we say as all the other shirts are. Just like my Slippery Rock t-shirt. Just like my Marching Size shirt. And guys, if you haven't seen the big news because you don't follow them on Twitter, which you should be doing, Big News Saturday is coming soon. They're going to release new shirts for previously released schools. 30 current home home field schools are getting refreshes. That means new t-shirts for 30 schools currently on home field. On April 26th, May 3rd, and May 10th, 16 new Big Saturday schools actually start June 5th. Guys, go follow Home Field Apparel on Twitter if you don't, at HomeFieldAppARL. All that aside, Home Field Apparel, if you have been waiting, if you haven't bought your gear yet, now's the perfect time. 10-12. Promo code 10-12 gets you 20% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. All orders of $70 or more get free shipping right now. Oklahoma State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, Baylor. They added new Texas Tech, they added new Baylor gear. They added a, a championship cut down the net shirt, guys. It's pretty awesome. I've seen some people on Twitter who are wearing it. Get yours. Get your Oklahoma State gear. Get your Texas Tech gear. Get your Iowa State gear. Get your other random schools. Tulane, Hawaii, Slippery Rock, Mississippi State, Fresno State, BYU, Vermont. There are more than 100 schools. Check them all out. Homefieldapparel.com, promo code 1012, 20% off your first order. Be rocking the most comfortable, awesome, vintage college sports apparel today. Uh, WNBA draft 
is tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, there are going to be some Big 12 players' names called Charlie Collier, forward center from Texas, is going to be the number one pick to the Dallas Wings. That is what every mock draft says. Every WMA mock draft has Charlie Kohler number one. She's going to go. This is going to be a big night for the Big 12. Natasha Mack, Oklahoma State power forward, she's going to probably go in the top 10. That's what you see in most of the mock drafts, is seeing her go in the top 10. Dejane Carrington, I'm probably saying her first name wrong, and if I am Carrington, I'm real sorry. Gar from Baylor, she's going to go on this first night on Thursday. She could go in as a top 15 pick, maybe even a top 10. I've seen a lot of mock drafts. I've been looking at a lot of them. Could be a lot of Big 12 players' names called. In the WNBA draft tonight. So if you are a fan of the Big 12 women's basketball, tune in. If Jamie's back on Sunday, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it anyways. But we'll dive deep into it with Jamie if she's back on the pod on Monday. We'll just have to see. I'm excited. I'm excited to see Big 12 players named. I'm excited to see some fantastic basketball players go pro on a U.S. team that I can easily watch and cheer for. Big night for those girls. Big Big night. All right. Now, as we mentioned, two great guests, actually four great guests, if you want to be honest, two great guests talking football. We are ranking the most important position groups in the Big 12 with Parker Fleming and Keegan Renault. We are talking the Big 12 race in college baseball, regionals, who's going to get there, the college baseball nation. Guys, let's get to it. All right, so basketball's over. Obviously, we're going to talk baseball and softball as the season progresses. or as the Yeah. Um, but it's time to dive into football. It's time to dive into Big 12 football. Spring football is in full swing. Spring games will be coming up soon. And I've been trying to figure out how I want to talk about football this summer. Besides just like, okay, here's Kansas State and here's Texas Tech. What are some interesting ways to look at the Big 12 and who should be able to have success in the conference? And then... My good friend Parker Fleming pitched the idea of, you know what, he thought it'd be really cool to actually rank position groups within the Big 12. Like, what are the most important position groups in the Big 12 to have success? And I like that idea so much that I stole it. But luckily, I brought Parker on because he's going to contribute. So Parker Fleming, our good friend from Purple Theory, and Keegan Renault, currently in between things, uh, both joining us today. Guys, welcome back to the show. Hey, Philip. Thanks for having me. Always fun, Philip. It's always fun. I like having you guys on. It's nice to have people smarter than me so I can just sit back. That's the whole point of the show. Yeah, uh, well, work. I mean, Parker's smarter than both of us, so you've got to let yeah. that be. Yeah, that's all right. Smart people I won't tell him that we very like often, him. but I'll tell him that on this podcast. <laughs> I'll just bleep that out. He didn't hear it. Appreciate it. it. Uh, okay, so the goal today is to decide if you're building a team in the Big 12, what are the position groups you need to have strength in if you want to have success? Now, I'm going to go ahead and just say, I think we would all say quarterback at one. That seems the most obvious answer. Does anyone want to disagree with that? No. Depends. Like, if you wanted to actually dive right into that, like, like how I, and I know Parker understands this from my perspective, like how I see this is, I mean, if you can get an offensive coaching system in place that is able to utilize the quarterback's strengths, and then you're looking at both tackle spots to what would be the most important positions. But if you feel confident confident in your offensive coaching staff, if you feel confident that they're going to put the quarterback in the best position to be successful, then 
it can be something else, but in the essence of this conversation, I, was, I know this is kind of, we're discussing this in a chat format, but um, just note that. Like, I, I think like, you know, you look at, like, obviously with me in Oklahoma, it's, it's quarterback for me, like is really not that important over the next three years. Like, I don't like the, obviously they got it taken care of. They have Spitzer Rattler with Caleb Williams and then Malachi Nelson more than likely, but they've gotten, I mean, the last two years, the field has inch closer to Oklahoma because they can't deal with anybody blocking left tackle or at right tackle. So there's my perspective on it. But yes, I would agree if we're just in a general basis conversation that quarterback's more than likely going to be it. Yeah, I think I think about quarterback is just uh, important to realize that the idea that like a quarterback can thrive in different environments or like different systems. And it's all kind of dependent, I think is, is prescient, but it's, it's important to remember that's like past a certain threshold of competence. So it's like necessary and perhaps sufficient that you have a quarterback that's at least this good. And then you're talking about ceiling, but like to succeed, you need to have some kind of minimum threshold of, of quarterback there. Um, and, and I really think about like an offensive unit and talking about positions, you have to start thinking about like successive probabilities of failure, which is a really nerdy way to just say like a lot of college football teams are determined by their weakest link. It's like Keegan mentioned left tackle. Um, and so your quarterback can be very, very good and has to be very, very good. If he is getting his ribs broken on every play, it doesn't matter how good he is, um, you know, with, with some caveats about uh, some thresholds of, of talent and, and all that. But like saying it, they're all interdependent too, which I think is a good way to say, like, obviously quarterback is the most important, but obviously these all depend on each other. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Well, then I, I guess the question is, if we're just saying quarterback is the most important, obviously, but. But is it that obvious? Like, if you were going to put together a team from scratch, like so you are, you are now. Congratulations, you're the head coach of a brand new football team in the Big Twelve that just started from nothing. What is the first thing you're going after? Like, what is the most important thing that you need to target? Is it quarterback at number one, or is it your offensive line, or is it something else? Yeah, I, I think when when you look at it, like you know, the obvious example here in Parker's good. I'm not I'm seriously not using this as like a triggering mechanism at all, but you now you get a guy like Chandler Morrison, right? Like you look at TCU and he can be, if the sum around there, the parts around them with him equal to something great, right? Like I, I think that he's a very, he was a three-star quarterback. I know he was invited to the Under Armour game out of high school, but there was a lot of people at Oklahoma that thought he actually had a shot to compete with Caleb Williams to be the starting quarterback. Like the first real true legit, not Lincoln Riley telling us that it's a quarterback competition, like a real one. <laughs> and so, you know, with that being said, you find that and you have a guy like that. If you're a Texas tech or a Baylor or a Kansas state or a Iowa state or a TCU, um, you have, you find something like that, that, it can kind of like left tackle, right tackle. Then you don't need as much high talent. TCU has a guy in Ed Parker. I'm going to mess this up. Abina, Abina, Eze. I don't know exactly how to say it, but I, you know what I'm saying? Him, like, we're calling him Biggie. <laughs> <laughs> so you have got, you, know, you, you can, you can, it, it all works independent, like Parker's saying, but. I will agree. You look at the conference as a whole, you know, five years ago, we'd be sitting here talking about how quarterback play is just too damn good. We need to get better tackle play. Now it's flipped and we have too good of defenses and not good enough quarterbacks. So there you go. But if we think about this in terms of like a draft, which is a silly way to, you know, everything's about the draft, but it's like 
if I'm targeting my effort, I want to allocate my effort towards my most desirable places first, and then know that later on, I may be able to get a little bit more value. I think the difference in total team value between uh, a Spencer Rattler and a Jared Dagey is, is so much bigger than the difference between like Tevin Jenkins and Austin Myers for TCU, because that offensive line is so uh, interdependent. So I do think there's a world where you could just like, I think there's a world where a big 12 team could say, we are going to have the five best offensive linemen and the four best defensive linemen in the conference. And everything else is going to work out from there. If I was a team that was struggling um, and was trying to create an identity, that is where I would start. And so um, I, I think, I think that's where quarterback being the most important really comes in is just the, the, the drop off in value uh, from a quarterback is so steep Whereas for offensive linemen, you get a little bit more leeway because you can pair guys on the side of the line and, and kind of work them out uh, together. Okay. So for the sake of this argument, it feels like we're all going to say quarterback at, at one, but I think that's a more complicated conversation than looking at defense and saying sound. defensive end is my number two, like clear cut, right. like not even close. Right. So, okay. So if we got quarterback at one, and I almost want to just keep quarterback at one because I'm, I have no interest in breaking down quarterback rankings, even though I know that generates the clicks. Everyone loves to get the quarterback. Let me tell you which quarterback is the best and which one's seventh. So you can complain about where Brock Purdy falls on the list. I'm not doing that. Um, let's move to number two, because I, I think this is where it gets more interesting to me because I, I think it's, it doesn't matter if you're in the big 12, the SEC, anywhere, like offensive line to me is is most important you can have really good quarterback you can have a generational talent at quarterback if they're running for their life on a constant basis if they're always having to be on the run especially if they're not a mobile quarterback which everyone is nowadays if you don't have the guys there to protect them and I, again i'm gonna we're gonna do kind of my broad sense like offensive line defensive line i don't i don't we can have the conversation about positions individual as far as tackle and and, and guard but for this exercise because we'll go through and rank each school's position group. Let's just kind of rank them this way. I think offensive line's number two, and I don't I don't think it's that close. I would actually disagree. I, I have defensive okay. line as the second, and it's only because of the offensive tackles in this region. They're far and few between. It's hard to get your hands on them. And I know Oklahoma State's done some interesting stuff, especially with getting athletic high school tight ends and then making them offensive tackles. And I think that's a brilliant idea, especially with the scarcity of the resources here in Oklahoma, Texas, in this region. I think that you can go find pass rushers a lot better. And this conference, you look at it, you got Will McDonald at Iowa State, uh, Trace Ford at Oklahoma State, uh, Ochon Mathis at, at TCU. Um, I probably said that name wrong, too. Uh, Nick Benito at OU, uh, you know, you look and there, it's like, oh, wow, this league now has premier pass rushers that the NFL draft covets. And with that being said, I, I just think that the resources here in this region probably go towards, hey, you can go find some elite defensive line play, even if it's under the radar, but it's hard. To, I mean, in the Southeast, those big burly offensive tackles seem to be coming out every year. And it's hard to get them out of that region. And so that's where I'm at. I, I think you look at where the Big 12 is heading defensively. And I, I put a big premium on defensive line play. Um, especially, if, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. Like, and this is the example of it is, you know, I Parker heard me say this after the Texas Tech game when OU played last year. Is, you know, I just came to one, one question projecting every game. Like, who is going to block Oklahoma up front? And, 
you look to look at the conference, the offensive line play and quarterback play too has been down over the last, you know, three to four years. And I just think that we're seeing a little transformation and I, I would put a high premium on defensive line play over finding that, you know, uh, needle in the haystack offensive tackle that could be a first rounder. Oklahoma obviously can get their hands on them and Texas can um, from a national brand perspective, but it's going to be hard for the other teams too. So I think I actually agree that defensive line is probably second for me. Um, although if we broke that out into granular positions, I'd probably go tackle on offense, but, um, I will say that there's probably a more nuanced point to make about like scarcity. So I think that if tackles are more rare then they do become more valuable, uh, overall, and, and that makes them more important. Um, and so I agree, I, I think it's a lot easier to, to kind of fill out a defensive line. But then again, a disruptive pass rush in the Big 12 and the modern Big 12 is the difference between your safeties getting exploited one-on-one -on -one every play or having room to breathe and having room to be aggressive on defense. And that, uh, you know, exactly what Keegan's saying about kind of about the, the, the tectonic shifts in the Big 12 and where we're headed, um, you, you, you are increasingly needing defensive linemen who can get pass rush, but who can also defend the run because, uh, you know, we're really staring at this age of counter punching against kind of these power air raid option option teams that are able to have a credible run threat when you commit to stopping the pass. And so that, that versatility, I think kind of says, you know, the defensive line is going to, is going to be the governor on your pass defense in the big 12 as, as they go, your pass defense is going to go TCU last year is a really great example. Now, Big caveat, of course, they played way worse teams going down the stretch. So that uh, it's it's way easier to be better defensive linemen against worse players. But TCU's defensive ends specifically and, and some of their interior rotation got shored up with some health issues. And they were so much more disruptive on defense because it frees up these amazing playmakers. Like, uh, you, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say that like Trevon Merrig is not one of the most valuable players in the Big 12. But if, if the quarterback is getting, you know, uh, nine, it's even five, six, seven, let alone nine, 10, 11 seconds, to make decisions, run around and throw the ball um, or the run can't get stopped. Uh, Merrick's going to be in some bad positions. You saw it like in the Iowa state game where TCU's um, defensive line and, and kind of their, their, uh, their fits were, were messed up and Merrick got exposed. Our Darius Washington got exposed there too. And so two really talented guys in the secondary that their success is, is wholly governed uh, or their opportunities for success are wholly governed by defensive line. And so I think that the, the way that the game is going um, I, I needed, I need an edge rusher, uh, after, after a corner, uh, a quarterback, uh, that, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that all makes a lot of sense. I mean, and, and it's not like I have defensive line far down the list. It's, I have a third because to me, you want, I want my quarterback. I want the guys to protect my quarterback and I want the guys to go after the other team's quarterback. So I, I, I agree. And especially you're seeing more and more about the, as defense in the big 12 becomes more effective and you start to see the scheme shift, you're seeing more and more about the emphasis put on pressuring the quarterback, getting to the quarterback, trying to get to them. I think defensive line, especially in the Big 12, I mean, I think it's everywhere. I mean, this is what we're seeing as, as teams continue to shift towards trying to shut down the air raid. And the Big 12 is always trying to do everything ahead of So the Big 12 perfects things, and then the SEC just throws a ton of talent at it or whatever. I think defensive line is third because I think that's the most important thing of if you can stop the run and you can get to the quarterback. I mean, in the Big 12, the quarterback play is typically so good that – the best way to neutralize their offense is to not allow the quarterback to do what he wants to do. So I'm, I, I have defensive line at third. Um, what do you, what do you guys have at Keegan? Since you've been going second here, what do you have at three? Yeah, I will flip it over and say the offensive line. I, I think that 
you know, a big part of this too, and Parker touched on it, but we didn't say this. I mean, there's a lot of light boxes nowadays. I mean, six guys, you have a, you know, that fifth safety is usually committed to the run game. I know people call it like the Joker position, right? The on grass, it's a dollar sign, whatever it may look. I just call it a nickelback because it's a lot easier to do that. Um, so I, I, I would say the offensive line and, and just to the, to the point of, like I, it's a switch of mentality, and Parker has seen it over the last year um, from talking to me and this and that, and as well as you have Philip. But when Alex Grinch made the comment about negative plays, and I forgot the exact quote um, that like they don't they don't like at Oklahoma like they have a stat that looks at like do we disrupt a play? Like is it a negative play? Do we disrupt it? Okay, that's a win. And if an offensive line can allow a team like Oklahoma that does a bunch of different things up front and they, they can get that push, then again, it's a lot easier on the quarterback. A, they can run the football um, against a lighter box. Uh, they can deal with elite athletes up front. And so, I, yeah, I think it's one in the trenches. I will stick by that. Um, but, yeah, I will have offensive line number three. I think that I um... – if it was just, if we were going as granular as like tackle, uh, like I, I said, I think I'd have said that, but um, I would, I would have that uh, higher, but I think I'm actually going to steer different here just because interior offensive line for me is a little, uh, just kind of brings down the value of the entire offensive line in terms of most important. So I'm actually going to go uh, cornerbacks next and say that um, kind of the compliment on that defense is, you know, you have the pass rush that can take the burden off the cornerbacks, but then having a, a, a lockdown corner can kind of take the uh, burden off of the pass rush. And so those two are so highly complimentary for me that I think that that's where I would go um, next in terms of, in terms of value. I mean, you see like West Virginia, a guy like Tyke Smith, who's, who's gone now, but uh, somebody in the secondary like that, who benefits so much from two really, really disruptive interior defensive linemen and is able to just kind of make havoc anywhere. Um, I, I think that again, we're moving towards um, most people are starting to put up a lot of points. Most people are starting to um, catch on to kind of these, Hey, we can, you know, run these, these crazy offenses and, and score at will. And so any way you can stop that becomes more and more valuable. And so the, the one, two punch of a defense of uh, a pass rush and pass coverage like that, I think is just so important. Um, and that's a, a position that I think is becoming more and more premium because you are getting a lot more one-on-one -on -one opportunities and a lot of athletic guys, as these crazy numbers are going up on offenses are more attracted to that side of the ball, just kind of generally. Um, and so that's, that's why I would, I would give uh, corner the, the, the slight edge there for number three uh, for me. Real quick, Philip, are we doing corner or secondary? Because I would agree that secondary was going to be my next in line. But and corner, I think corner and safety need to be separate because I, yeah. I think they need to be different position groups. Because I think I would, I would, I think you can have a good, you can have good corners and bad safeties, and that's going to affect you. You can have good safeties and bad corners, and that's going to affect. You. So I'm going to keep corner and safety separate um, because I have corner at four. Um, I, I, you know, you're seeing more and more of the three-three-five defense, and I use Oklahoma State as an example because I, I watch them the most. You know, Radarius Williams was the the on an island lockdown guy for Oklahoma State this season, and you saw the defense become less efficient once he got banged up and injured and wasn't playing as much because all of a sudden Jim Knowles isn't able to bring the pressure and do the things on defense that they wanted to as much because all of a sudden you're having to help more on the outside. You didn't trust the guys as much as you did, and I think that's a thing in the Big Twelve. There's and look. 
you you see it even at the best teams. If you have a world-class wide receiver, they're going to beat your world-class corner more often than not. And I get that. But everyone doesn't have world-class wide receivers. And yeah, even Tyler Wallace can be tough to shut down sometimes and guys of that nature. But if you have a corner that you can trust to just leave on an island and and you don't have to worry about them and you don't have to help them, that allows you to use more guys to help stop the run, use more guys to bring more pressure. I agree with corner, because, and I think it's more than just corner. It's having that, it is cornerback, but it's having that one guy, you know, he's on his own. We don't have to worry about him. We leave him out there, he does his job, and we can just worry about everything else. I don't know what elite corner play looks like since I haven't seen it in like nine years, but I think that... But but what? Boo? No boo? No. No? I mean, Trey Brown, according to PFF, was like the greatest corner in Oklahoma history the last two years. But regardless, I... No, I'm joking. I I think it's getting a lot better at Oklahoma, but I'm with you guys. It's... I mean, it's just a whole mentality flip, really, the last two years. Like, you, you, you watch... Like, from obviously my perspectives on Oklahoma, but like that 2019 team, like I would tell you a safety is more important to play against Oklahoma because they have a six foot two, 220 pound running back at quarterback. Um, But as we're seeing, this is turning into a 11 personnel, 12 personnel league where everybody's trying to get as many tight ends and H backs on the field to help with designing. you know, drawing that picture ahead of time that like what Iowa State did with Sonar a lot last year where they're motioning him across to either block or to go out into the flats. Um, but with that being said, when you are playing as a defense against a 12 personnel team or an 11 or heck, a two-back team that likes to get two running backs on the field a lot, your corners are going to be out on an island quite a bit. Uh, I saw it obviously broke it down a lot with Xavier Hutchinson and what he did against Oklahoma during his both games during both games. I mean, it really like was four bad plays by the corners. Like Jaden Davis is in great position and great coverage on a slant and just one, there's no one there because it's an RPO behind him gets beat and it's a, ends up being a big time touchdown. Um, and then a couple more times in the big 12 championship game. So just a premium on that corner position, kind of like what Parker's saying. I, I, like if it's a granular, like he, what he's talking about, if we're going more individual, like you, I think a lot of people would be surprised how high we would rank defensive ends and corners. Um, but I, I would have corner definitely next um, ahead or after my offensive line. Uh, I just, I think that like what Parker's saying, like, and what both of you guys are saying, I, there's just so many more opportunities to get guys in one-on-one. And if he can get a guy that can cover for two, two and a half seconds, right. It's not going to get beat deep. Uh, your defense is going to be pretty damn good. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm almost agnostic between having, so I have offensive line. We're at what number four now. Um, and so I have offensive line here yeah. again, just because if we're thinking about who am I going to target and who do I need to kind of build around? Um, I really think that like a lockdown corner just gives you so much room for other guys in other positions to breathe and grow and develop. Um, and so that, that's, uh, that's why offensive line slightly behind also, because I think that, you know, interior offensive line is uh, a little bit easier to replace a little bit easier to find than some of these other premium positions. And so an offensive line unit as a whole, there are ways to take an offensive line of two above average players and three average players and make that an above average unit. There are ways to take five, um, not quite average, uh, linemen and make them a very good unit. See Iowa state this last year. Um, and, and so I think that 
the, that being an entire position group, if you have a coach who knows what they're doing, which I'll refrain from commenting on whether uh, offensive line coaches near and dear to my heart know what they're doing. Um, you, you really can kind of create a unit that, that outplays itself, especially with the burden of having a quarterback who's competent there. Um, and, and so again, I think, I, I don't know that anyone would disagree with kind of the four foundations of you need quarterback, defensive line, pass coverage, and, and uh, offensive line. Of course, we're spiraling out and that's like the entire field now, but um, it, it, it really, I think that's kind of the last big, big block. And then we start to get into interesting conversations of style and what you want to do now that you have these foundations. But I think the offensive line is, is absolutely the fourth kind of pillar there. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not shocked that we all have in some order quarterback, defensive line, offensive line, and, and corner in the top four. And we all do. I mean, there's a little bit mixed up after after one. So that's that's not shocking. This is to me, like you said, Parker, where I think this is going to be interesting. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get to that here in just a second after a quick uh, ad break. Hey guys, Christine Butterfield here and Madison Morris, and together we host the Winning Women Podcast. This podcast is all about women's empowerment and creating a positive platform for females to tell their stories. Each week, we interview players, coaches, reporters, journalists, and much, much more. The conversations we have are unique to each guest, and they always have words of wisdom to share. Listen to the Winning Women podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, presented by the Highball Network. Okay, um, round number five. This, to me, is where we start to get really interesting. Um, now, I know we to have a conversation before we get moving. I'm not putting tight end here. In the Big 12, everyone's a little bit different. Everyone's got their weird tight end or tight end combo. You get the Cowboy back for OSU and weird H back, you know. Do we need to designate H back versus tight end, or can we lump that all together? Does anyone in the Big 12 have, actually have a tight end? Iowa State. Like, like That's yeah. Kansas State. Um, Oklahoma right now. Yeah, I mean, like, all of those are effectively H. Uh, like the way they use them, I guess Briley Moore, I feel like Briley Moore is probably as tight end. I mean, Charlie Kolar and Briley Moore are probably like the, the most tight end players in the Big 12. But like TCU had four tight ends and three of them were... I don't want to talk three about Three of them TCU were receivers and one of them was a <laughs> uh, is, is a really good blocking back. So I don't... Yeah, tight end is just such a nebulous word. Um that it's kind of hard to, I always laugh about this. I have to plug this. Uh, TCU's SID uh, is, is a really great guy and is just tweeting stats, but he tweeted a bunch about pro Wells having the most touchdowns of any tight end in the big 12 in, t- in 2019. It was like, Oh yeah, because he took all of his snaps at receiver. So uh, a mediocre receiver is obviously going to have more touchdowns than every, every tight end. It was so frustrating. <laughs> Watching him and Jelani Woods run on the football field and not get the ball thrown to him. And I know, Philip, there's a big on the OSU side of don't throw the football to Jelani Woods. That's on Oklahoma State for not developing him. But when you watch that man run on a football field and pro Wells at the same time, gosh, damn it. Like, I don't I don't get it. Uh, I want to say this because I want to get ahead because I know Parker's going to be like, Keegan, what are you doing? Linebacker's my number five. And okay. the reason for that is we're – Again, light boxes mean there is a lot more on the linebacker's plate in the run game these days, and especially in this conference. And, like, you you point towards and you look at what Oklahoma's linebackers looked like in 18. Uh, sorry, let's go back to the Rose Bowl first. When Kenneth Murray's running the opposite directions of plays, Emmanuel Beal isn't lined up correctly. 18 comes around, same situation. Oklahoma can't play a six-man box. Uh, effectively because they don't have the linebackers that are good enough at the time. 
Alex Grinch comes into Oklahoma and the linebacker position is just so valuable to them. Um, and I'm not talking about rush. I'm not talking about what Nick Benito does. I'm talking about what the job that Brian Osamoa and David Aguebu, uh, Deshaun White did the, really the like this last year in 2020 and in 2019, like Oklahoma got beat by Kansas state in 19 because Kenneth Murray struggled uh, in the middle. They did a bunch of interesting stuff. Um, you know, I could, I've got plenty of clips out there on the Twitter, Twitter sphere. If you go search my name in Kansas state um, to see what they were doing with their guards that I don't honestly, I think I've seen them run it three times since um, that same game. But I, there is just, whenever you're playing these six man boxes, your linebackers have to be really good. I know Parker can comment on this as well from watching Garrett Wallow's struggles in 2020 um, for the most part. Uh, I just, it's such a, the, those guys have so much on their plate now in terms of stuffing the run as well as being good in pass coverage. So yeah, linebacker is number five for me, especially if we're talking Big Twelve. When we're talking nationally, it's different. But here in this, here in Big no, Twelve country, this is a for sure Big Twelve podcast. Yeah, like I don't, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, there yeah, was a couple, I, I, um, a couple Deuce Vaughn clips that I stumbled across just because you know we're all watching random stuff or whatever. And Kansas State's uh, uh, like their ability to get Deuce Vaughn matched up against someone who has no business covering Deuce Vaughn. Um, it's impeccable. So what was that? Sorry. No, I said it's impeccable. It's insane. Like it, it's like insane. They just talk about know what you know what you want to do and do it. Like man, that's just that's great. And so, I think, um, I I think I actually steer more offensive here. Um, I I do think something like your I, I think we're calling it like the ancillary, the H back is super important for your offense. But I don't think they're anywhere near as important just because you can take a lot of people and make them into an ancillary, make them into a linebacker. Uh, Garrett Wallow was not a linebacker until TCU needed a starter and Garrett Wallow decided to eat a bunch of bananas and become a linebacker. Um, and so uh, I, I think that the the real value next is kind of your, your wide receiver unit. And are they possession guys? Are they deep threat guys? Are they guys that you don't trust to throw the ball? So you run the ball a lot. Um, that I think really kind of becomes the next, uh, for me, most important position in the big 12 because wide receiver talent, it can just change the game. Like I think, man, I think Henry Columbia from Texas tech looked so much better than he actually was because he had TJ Vasher and, uh, Eric, he's there to kind of cover him and just these huge outside talent freaks. And so I really think that wide receiver is kind of the next most valuable position. Again, that's like style and taste. Um, and things Keegan are saying about stopping the run are valuable. I just think that if we're talking about, I want to maximize my ceiling, uh, I think wide receiver is the next place that you can do that. So I, so I have a linebacker at five, Keegan. I, I kind of agree. And I think it's because you look at the way defenses are going in the big 12 linebackers do so much and, and kind of, they almost fill so many positions. They they play linebacker. They stop the run. They almost play safety sometimes. They have to provide pass rush. They like I think you look at the way the defense is going, and they're becoming such a versatile position, and and that they're almost like the NBA of, of having a positionless player to some extent because of how many different things they do, um, and having a a really good linebacker group that allows you to do different things and use them as kind of a Swiss army knife of different players, I think is incredibly valuable as we're seeing more defenses, you know, become more dominant in the big 12. 
not because offenses are getting worse, national media, you morons, but because the defenses are just figuring out schematically how to how to do things to stop the the offenses. And I mean, that's my five. And I have wide receiver at six for similar reasons to Parker. Like we've seen what happens when you have a dominant wide receiver. They make a quarterback look better. They make even out on the island corners irrelevant if they can't stay up, especially with the rules in in football nowadays. Like I wide receiver and having really good ones is a really, really valuable thing. And we've seen decent quarterbacks look worse because they don't have anybody to throw to. Um, I know we like to say like, well, a quarterback should elevate the wide receivers. And that's that's great. And sometimes they can, but I don't care how good you are if your receivers can't make a catch. Like <laughs> drop passes, sorry Parker, uh are not a great thing for your team and can make good quarterbacks look not as good. So I I I have wide receivers at six with linebackers at five. I have wide receivers at six, and it's for the same reason I talked about with defensive line and the, why it's higher for me than offensive line in this region, in the Big 12. <clears throat> Pause. Needed to sneeze. Sorry about that. Anyways, regardless, I, uh, I, I think just we're talking about the Big 12 country, right? I mean, you can go f- to some random high school game in the state of Texas, and Texas Tech or TCU or somebody will go find a wide receiver that can go play. Um, in terms of just program success, uh, I, I think like, yes, wide receiver would be a lot higher on my board. But in terms of we're building a program here in Big 12 country, in terms of we're looking at ranking like positional, not positional value, but as well as access to resources, I think you can go find a wide receiver. I mean, Oklahoma, Jalen Robinson shows up in Norman as a three-star guy, goes to UCF and transfers and is a is a stud and he's from the Fort Worth area and kind of was a no-name guy that everybody came in Trevin West was nobody knew who that guy was and he's getting snaps for Oklahoma last year as a true freshman um and he's from the same thing same from the same Fort Worth area true true buzz group that's down there in DFW so I just think there's so much more access to wide receivers in the state of Texas than anything else really any other position. And that's why it's a little bit lower for me, just in terms of like where my focus would be. Now, again, Parker's probably thinking in his head, Keegan, you cut, co- you've covered Oklahoma. You follow Oklahoma closely. What are you talking about? Okay. I get it. But at the same time, like not every school has that same option right now. And the where, I mean, you guys got to remember this, like it's, it's, I mean, it's been a process for them in Norman. Like if you go look at the first recruiting class, it was Dahu Green, A.D. Miller, and someone else. Like, now Oklahoma's signing Mario Williams and Billy Bowman, and, and it's just – it's a lot different now. But I think just the resources, like I said, like some of those guys were good. Like, Dahu Green ended up having a long college career. Uh, played like – he's, I think, in like year seven right now. He went to – you know, Zach Farrar is another guy from, the, you know, down there in the Dallas area. So, yeah, I think that, again, I just – I think the access to resources here in big 12 country makes a wide receiver position. Just like in terms of you don't necessarily need to spend like a ton of time worrying about and on finding a receiver. Cause usually they're going to fall into your lap. And I think that's a, like, again, if we're talking about, am I building a team? I am worrying about wide receiver after I'm worrying about some of these other positions, because that gives me a lot more freedom to have those three-star guys come thrive and potentially out, outkick their coverage. It's probably a mixed metaphor to say outkick their coverage about a wide receiver, but I think we know what I meant there. Um, <laughs> I'm actually, 
I'm actually low on linebackers. Um, linebackers are just defensive running backs. Uh, and so they're, they're going to be, those are going to be my bottom two. Uh, I don't believe that. Do not put that in the show notes. Do not put that on Twitter, Philip. I can't take it anymore. Um, <laughs> I'm good. That I'm going to clip that. I'm just going to, and that's next time I have you on, that's going to be your new intro. If I could go back to, if I could go back to like 2018 spring of 2019, when I'm like first on Twitter and like, just stop the whole running backs don't matter meme just because I, it's not even worth it. I I'm, I'm content to let people be wrong because everything I do now, someone's like running backs. Um, I'm actually going to say that something Keegan said earlier about linebackers, I'm going to apply to safeties and say that my safety is my next most important position. Um, I do think that somebody like um, Jalen Petre, um, uh, for Baylor, whose name I'm, I'm definitely he doesn't. With. He doesn't count. He plays no. every position on the field. Right, right, right. So that's what I was going to say. Is like he is kind of your. He is that Jack Star Spur. I don't. Everybody has to call it. It's a cowboy. Like everybody has to call it something different to pretend that they came up with super athletic guy who can do whatever they want. Um, and so if we're counting him as a linebacker, I'm like, yes, that's that's really great. But I, I actually come back to. I think he is able to do so much. I mean, one had a huge effect. Uh, one of the reasons TCU got up so early on Baylor in their game in 2020 is because Petrie made a stupid hit on Max Duggan and got tossed and Baylor's defense like almost fell apart for a little bit while they were trying to figure out what to do. And so I agree if, if that guy's a linebacker, uh, then, then it's, it's linebacker, but I'm, I'm just going to call it more that general athletic secondary player that will call a safety. Um, somebody like the Kendrick Van Zandt for TCU, um, and then your Trayvon Marrying and your um, Ardarius Washington, like three really, really, two really, really solid guys. And one guy that's kind of boomer bust and a little bit crazy, but uh, those guys are the ones that are going to be in conflict most as we're moving into kind of these RPO air raid sort of things where, oh, I've got to either decide to pursue the run, make a tackle or get back in coverage on a wide receiver. And you see, especially with TCU's defense, which I think is, uh, don't hear what I'm not saying about Gary Patterson's importance here. I'm just saying the four, two, five and the way that Gary Patterson plays triple option RPO stuff is, is kind of how everyone is, is moving towards the tight front is, is here. And that's kind of potentially a variation on that, depending on what terminology you use, but that idea, I think everybody's using those principles. And so you look at teams like Texas uh, that have gotten really, really good at the uh, the wheel route against TCU the last couple of years and said, hey, we're going to find this guy in space because we know there's this conflict and we're going to make this this safety play a um, make a choice here. Um, I, I think especially as running games increase their potency in the Big 12, you're going to find these guys who are in conflict more and more as safeties become more and more important. Um, and so that's that's really where I think that safety is next because you need – you know, at this point, you need three to four versatile athletic guys who can step up and tackle a running back in the open field, but then also can go step for step with um, a receiver or a running back or a tight end based on where they are. So because versatility is so important, I think that, that I actually have safety sixth. I think we're at six now. Yeah. yeah. Let me, six, let, me yes. let me touch on that because yeah. it is my next after that. And the only reason why safety for me is lower is because – a lot of teams are now recruiting corners and making them safeties. I, I think that 
there's just a, a different switch in philosophy, you know, especially in the Big 12 where we're recruiting towards positionless defenses to where like a guy can be a safety or you could be a corner in high school. He could play corner. Um, I just I, I think that, you know, you're finding those guys like usually the safeties. This is crazy. I don't know where Trevin Morig was rated at a high school. I would assume he was low, but we're finding more and more 6'2", 200-pound linebackers in high school that are getting switched back to safety. And I, so I just think from just a overall focus, like I'm not – if, if I can go find a, oh, DeMond Harmon in Highland Springs, Virginia, that is going to end up being really, really good playing safety, guess what? He's playing corner right now in high school. So – um, and he's listed, I believe, as a corner on recruiting sites. So I, I think that it's just – it's one of those things that – I just, I don't, it's kind of like wide receivers. I, I think the access to these guys and resources here in big 12 country are few and far between, but finding a corner that can turn and run with these guys, as well as play press man is so valuable. Uh, but to the guys that don't, the guys that can run, the guys that can tackle, the guys that want to get up and get their nose dirty in the run game, those guys tend to get switched back to safety. So uh, I think it's a, I think it's a, an important position. I don't see it. As like a like Parker saying like yes is it, or they, do they have more on their plate nowadays in 2021? Absolutely. I mean, it's not even close to all the amount of assignments and discipline that they've got to have to play football. But at the same time, I just think that the access to those kinds of players is is, is rising and it's continuing to get better. Um, and you I mean like I can't think of a team in the Big 12 that had a bad safety. Like, I guess, I don't know, I'm not trying to throw shade at anybody, but B.J. Foster at Texas? Like, is that the is that the one guy that, like, like it's like, eh, like, are we sure really about who he is as a player? Well, like, Oklahoma's got the Larry Turner Yell, who's been really good. Pat Fields is underwhelmed, but um, they're getting – those guys are about to – that's about to change. I mean, those guys are 5'10", 5'11". Those guys are about to be replaced with 6'2", 205-pound guys that can run. Yeah. Well, TCU is doing that. TJ Carter from Memphis, the transfer is actually going to play safety at TCU, not corner. Um, and they, they're kind of saying, we want, we want more pass defense ability up here. We think you can play the position. And so they're making that switch. Um, so that's definitely something people are thinking about. Yeah. So I get all the points on safety, but Keegan, I would almost point, use your argument you've used in, in numerous cases for why you put them lower because you can move so many guys from other positions to recruit them and move them to safety. I almost think it's easier to find safety. I think safety is important, um, but I think you can, I mean, look, we were seeing safeties move to linebacker, linebacker move to safeties, corner move to safety, safety. Like I, I think we're seeing a lot of, of guys who are moving around and becoming safeties. You can find a safety. Kenneth can. Murray was a safety in high school, fellas. It's nuts. Um, I would actually, I'm actually going to put tight and H back here. And I think it's because, you know, for a long time, Outside of what's his name, who played for Texas Tech, who's like the all time tight end, whatever, in the Big 12, which is super weird coming from Texas Tech. You're starting to see the position used more and more in the Big 12 as of late. Like, I think Iowa State and Kansas State use it more than anybody. But what? I think it's what? one of those things. Whoa, what? whoa. Think about that question. Think about what you just said. Okay, well, hold on. Let me let me talk. I got Oklahoma. Literally, I'm about to say Oklahoma, and you hop in. And no, no, no. Your you're good. I was just saying, like, like I've watched this team. The, the point is, we want to dissect the Iowa State offense. That might be a different podcast. Don't get me started there. <laughs> what, what I'll say, but the, the point on Oklahoma is this. Oklahoma has shown that when you have a tight end that is really, really good, what that does for your offense and the other layer that that adds to it, you look at what Mark Andrews did for them, is so 
valuable. It adds a versatility that's hard to find. I think it's hard to find really good tight ends who can both catch and block. I think that's really difficult. And so I actually think, despite how everyone uses them, yes, Oklahoma State underutilizes the tight end. I Don't get me started on, on Jelani Woods. OU utilizes them based on their strengths when they get really good ones. Iowa State, we've seen what Charlie Kolar can do. I mean, he's ridiculous. He almost won me a fantasy football college Big 12 league one year because I have a tight end. It's just ridiculous. We've seen how Kansas State uses them. I think tight end is really important. I think it's one we don't talk about enough, but it's, I think it's coming back around in importance in the Big 12 as we th- see things shift because of the versatility. And when you have a really good one, when you have one, which I think is harder to find than people think because tight ends don't go to the Big 12, they go to the Big 10 and other places, I think they're incredibly valuable, which is why I have tight end at, at seven. So a little philosophical touch on this. So Oklahoma and why I, I may, I've kind of brought it up is the way I did is they've done something really interesting the last two years where they've sort of split the H-back room into two. And I, I've, t- I've noted this and I've touched on this before to where like Austin Stogner doesn't block that well. Now he's going to have to improve um, to be an inline tight end in the NFL as well as be a flex receiver at the NFL level. But like even if you look at their recruiting, like they got a guy from Alito and Jason Llewellyn this year who's going to be more of a fullback, H-back type, like what Jeremiah Hall does. Then on the flip side, they're recruiting Caden Helms, a kid from Nebraska, as well as a kid from Georgia, that's more of a flex receiver. And so you're seeing kind of an even more philosophical transition or transformation here from Oklahoma to where they're like, okay, we're only going to recruit Dimitri Flowers types. Okay, Mikey Henderson, my God, I hope you learn how to block because you're going to be a lot of fun to watch, but he can't. And because he can't, he's now at running back. And so that's probably going to be a year thing, but it's so interesting just from the aspect of like where that ancillary position, right? I think that's a great phrase to use because I don't know if it's an H back. I don't know if it's a fullback. I don't know if it's a tight end. I don't know how Oklahoma actually identifies it. I can tell you at times where like they'll be in 12 personnel, but they treat it as like 30 or 11. Like it's, it's nuts. So with that being said, like I, I, I'm with you. I, I think the tight end, but it's going to be my last one because Parker, I know we've gotten this far and I know this is the tipping point for him and I, in a lot of these conversations, but if you can find the running back, if you can find uh, not saying a Kennedy Brooks, but an Eric gray, like a guy from like the running back from Tennessee that's transferred into Oklahoma that when you go two back, he can motion out into a wide receiver position. You can throw him to the flats um, you can do a lot of things that makes Parker happy inside uh, with a running back. When you have a guy like that, like a, I know from if any Oklahoma fans that listen to this know that if Oklahoma would have continued to recruit after they had Jason McClellan and Seth McGowan, Bajon Robinson would be a Norman, which would absolutely be a nightmare for a lot of people. Um, but at the same time, if you can find that running back, it's hard. I mean, you can't, the, the Deuce Vaughns, the Bajon Robinsons, the, uh, in Guangu from Iowa State last year, who probably had a lot more flexibility than how Iowa State used them. Um, I, I think you, those guys are so hard to find, but when you do, and if you hit on them from an analytics perspective, it's like hitting the freaking jackpot because you have a fourth receiver as well as you can run the football well. Um, and if you can do that, it's a tough task for the defense, but it's so hard to find those guys, which is why it's lower. But I just wanted to talk up give me about a minute to talk up the running backs before Parker talks, because I know I won't have a chance to uh, much when he's around. 
So, so to clarify, Keegan has now said he's got safety at seven, running back at eight, and tight end at, at nine. Um, I have tight end at seven. Parker, who do you have at seven? So I've ranked quarterback, defensive line, quarterback, receiver. Offensive line, wide receiver, and safety. Offensive line, wide receiver, safety. safety. Yeah. And so that leaves me tight ends, running backs, linebackers. Correct, because we're not doing like kickers. Sorry, kickers. Well, I, I mean, if you get look, if you can get Jordy Sandy, you need to do what you can. You need to drop everything. Uh, no, uh, I, I'm. You don't like your holders getting into bar fights. <laughs> um, this is the worst for ranking podcast. I don't care past this point. Like, I'm I'm so agnostic here because if you have everything else equal then we are just splitting the littlest hairs. That being said, I will split some hairs. Um, I think that the ancillary is super valuable categorically. Individually, I do not think that is a position that is super valuable. I think that you can get a lot of guys in that position and say, hey, you're going to start here. You're big. We're going to give you a running start, and you just got to hit that guy. And of course, Football is hard. Blocking is hard. I would get broken on many plays that ancillaries make routinely. Like, no big deal. Real quick, real quick on that. There's a reason why a lot of teams have former walk-ons playing that position. And and I love it. Look, have your mullet, have your mustache, be gritty as hell. Like, hell that's good yeah. for you. But we got to just have a sense of value that I think is is – so if you're using that as a proxy for a scheme that has the personnel to use this kind of counter-motion – um, and a guy who can go get passes, like, absolutely, that's super valuable. But um, he, here, I think that I've got to go linebacker next. Uh, and, and it's really an argument more against the ancillary and the running backs because those are going to be so context-dependent. Look at TCU last year. Like, Carter Ware, former walk-on, uh, fine blocker. Like, does a great job. Caught a touchdown pass against Kansas. It was awesome. But uh, totally a blocking guy. Never puts his hand to the ground. Is entirely that. I'm in the backfield moving. He's a fullback. But they call him a tight end. Um, like he is super valuable in blocking, but TCU's offensive linemen were getting blown back on plays and that renders him moot. Like it, it doesn't matter if you don't have those other things ready. Um, and the same thing with the running back. So I'm going to say linebacker there because of what we've mentioned about the pass rush versatile versatility, um, and about how much they're in conflict and being asked to do. Uh, and then on offense, uh, after that, it's like, okay, what, you know, you know, obviously a higher ceiling running back is going to make more of a difference than a higher ceiling ancillary. But I think those three positions kind of linebacker running back and ancillary are all very similar in that you can find guys to cover holes there um, a lot easier than you could in other positions. While I will admit that, that I think on running back, uh, I think on linebacker, the ceiling can be moved the most by, by an extreme talent. So to clarify, Parker, you wrap with linebacker at seven, running back at eight, and tight end, or as you call it, ancillary at nine, which is a weird word to call a position, but whatever. Um, I've tied into seven. I've safety at eight, and I feel we're putting them at eight now that I have them at eight because I think it's an important group. But And then running back at nine, which I can't believe I have running back lower than you, Parker. That's so shocking after all of our running back debates. I've mentioned, look, well, I'm, uh, I'm not saying any individual running back. I'm saying. No, 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 yeah. no. It's position group. Right. We're not. Yes, I, I agree. It's not that. And to Parker's point, like if you can get a really, really good running back, like there, there is such a, a high value in that. But I also think you can do running back by committee so effectively that if you have a group of a good group of them, 
you can get by and you can win. If you have everything else, like you just need a, you've got a good offensive line, you need a couple of good running backs and you're good to go. Like they're going to, as long as they can see a hole that's open for them and they can run through it, then you're good to go. And that's not to, to knock on, on running backs, but I'm always of the position. It's more important to uh, running backs coach. Number one job is to recruit running backs. Coaching is like third or fourth. Sure. Yeah. And you look at DeMarco Murray, right? It was the joke, right? When he was hired, I said he had one job that whole year was to sign Kamar Wheaton. He obviously failed in that regard. Oklahoma failed in that regard. And they get a guy like Eric Gray. I can tell you the plan is for him to stick in Norman for 2022. So I don't know if they're going to pull some, uh, some strings here to make sure he's not on the field as much as he is, because there's a lot of NFL people asking about uh, Mr. Eric Gray from Tennessee. So we'll see. Uh, I want to say this on the, on the running back conversation. I, I know Parker actually agrees with me on this, but whenever the, you know, the whole phrase about paying running backs and, you know, don't pay running backs, don't pay them to long extensions, this and that. But there's a reason why guys like Alvin Kamara and Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley, um, Joe Mixon, and, and I'm, trying, I'm probably missing one guy. There's four or five guys in the NFL that you should pay. And it's, it's for the reasons that I mentioned. And, and I know Parker agrees with me in this aspect of those guys are so valuable in the pass game. If you can, mm-hmm. and you look at this NFL draft class, like Najee Harris, great receiver whenever he, he's out in, in pass pro or he's out in, in his pass skeletons and route trees and things. Uh, Ramondre Stevenson, another guy, obviously he's had his drops in the past, so, you know, from Oklahoma, but he's going to be a third, fourth round guy. Travis Etienne, great pass catcher. Uh, you know, the one of the running backs in North Carolina is a really good uh, pass catcher. So it's, uh, it's weird. It's not, it's not shocking that we're heading in this direction. But I think if we did this four years from now, if we did another conversation like this four years from now, I would assume that the bottom of these lists would look a lot different from the top. And I think it's just because I, the counter to the counter to the counter is going to be very interesting to see where football heads um, in this conversation. I think we may see it in the Big 12 before we see it anywhere else. It's like we have with everything else in the last decade. The Big 12 is where you experiment and perfect things, and the SEC is where you just steal ideas and throw a bunch of five-star talent at it. That's, I tried to get John Heath hired in the SEC this year. No one would listen to me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's good work if you can get it, just letting other people experiment with the ideas and, you know, letting Cliff Kingsbury fall on the sword. Well, he didn't fall on the sword because his life is great now, but you know what I mean. Um <laughs> That was a that was a really soft, cushiony, comfortable sword that he yeah, fell on. Yeah, um, it's an awful lot like a sword pillow. Until well, he I gets fired after this year, but dude, he can wipe his eyes with money like that Woody Harrelson. <laughs> Uh, you, you think seen Chris Kingsbury is not going to be on TV right. like the next day? Yeah, gosh. Um, okay, wait, wait. I was making a salient point that was going to uh, make everyone think I was really smart. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think so much of this is like, um aspiration of like what you want your program to be in the big 12, it matters so much. And it's like, okay, are we going to be Oklahoma and score 50 points a game? No. What do we need to do to kind of combat that? And so I think that's really interesting. And I, I, you know, I'm, I'm a big, uh, th- there's so much room in, in the big 12 to try new things and to experiment. Like I, I remember saying last year before the TCU Kansas state game, that if, if, if TCU's offense had struggled really bad up, up into that point and Max Duggan is like, okay, I guess we're going to have this freshman start and uh, excuse me, 2019, not last year. And um, I, I kind of went on the record and was just like, if, if this Kansas state game is not the TCU Max Duggan uh, mad scientist passing laboratory, like they're not going to make a bowl. What, what are we going to do here? If they can't go and say, we're going to, we're going to go against a team that we're better than and figure out our passing game. 
they're never going to figure it out. And, and unfortunately, that might be that might be true. But it is that kind of deal where um, I, I think that you know you're looking at the bottom of this list, and and I mean, what are we going to call a guy like Isaiah Simmons, uh, who's who's the prototype in the NFL, but you know who's who's just this kind of defender who can do whatever. I don't know what he. I, I mean, that kind of guy is going to be so valuable. I don't know that I'm splitting hairs about linebacker and, and safety as we kind of get these hybrids uh, on both sides of the ball. And so that's really interesting to me to think about not only what's valuable now, but again, if I'm recruiting people now, I, am I, are coaches trying to anticipate uh, these trends and shifts in offenses? I don't, I don't know that all of them are, I think the good ones are, but saying like, Hey, my rival just, <laughs> my rival just recruited, you know, four or five star defensive linemen we are going to uh, spread this guy out and start getting on the edge and getting speed on the edge because we're going to get screwed if we just try and run the ball against it, you know, and I'm sure that's happening on some level, but um, kind of anticipating the counterpunch and then the counter counterpunch is just fascinating to me with these positional things, because you think about what is when this guy that I recruit right now as a senior, is his position still going to be the most valuable to my team? Um, and I think I, that's just a really interesting and open and unsettled question to think about kind of how, how it's going to change. And I want to, and I think like you're looking at the teams that don't recruit the best that have been performing the best. And a lot of eyes are on Iowa state and what they do. I mean, they've basically controlled the clock against Oklahoma in almost every game that they've played since 17. Like they've, they've done a really good job of that, which I know a lot of people go, okay, well, why haven't other teams been able to do that? I mean, it, it, like what Parker's saying, like Matt Campbell clearly had a vision. He clearly had an idea um, and they executed it. I think they're going to be a little less 13 personnel this year from all accounts. I don't think they're going to throw three tight ends on the field a lot. Uh, but again, like to what Parker's saying and what we, we were just talking about, like there is a philosophical change that's going to hit the Big 12 within the next couple of years, especially guys, if the quarterback play does not improve. And I know that is not a conversation hitting the national airwaves yet. I hate to say it on a podcast in Big 12 country, but I mean, the second best quarterback in the Big 12 more than likely is what Brock Purdy, and God, he, God help us. And you know, like he's a fourth through seven round guy. Like he's not a he's not a day two quarterback. He can be. He could get there. He's got a lot to improve on this season. I mean, he almost single handedly lost Iowa State the Baylor game last year. Uh, so I, you know, I. I look at it and it's just like you go from having probably the top quarterback in the draft next year. And the guy underneath him is not going to get those four through seven rounds. The guy after him may not get drafted. So um, unless it's the show kid from Oregon that transferred to tech, which for some reason, there's a lot of people high on him that I've talked to and I haven't watched enough tape, but I mean, he didn't look that good last year. So I don't know. Um, you know, so it's I mean, just it. Go ahead. Justin Herbert was, Great talent. Everyone's like, well, he sucks sometimes. And then we saw him tearing up his rookie in the NFL. So, you know. So hey, there's a regression to the mean is a cool thing. I promise. You're forgetting <laughs> that Tyler Show is uh, about to enter the uh, Sonny Cumbie school for quarterbacks who can't read good. So he's uh, he's going to bust on the national scene. So I just wanted to finish it up on that. I, I think there's like what we're talking about. There's going to be such an interesting counter to the counter here. Um, I think there's going to be a higher in terms of internal offensive line play like I think defensive tackle and interior offensive line play is going to be heightened position over the next four years, uh, especially with Texas and Oklahoma recruiting defensive tackles at the way they're doing now. Um, I, it's just, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how the, it, you know, if we're going to a, 
Is the counter going to be back to the air raid, Parker? Are we going to go back? Or, or are we going to keep maintain being a power raid? I love saying power raid. I think we're going to go to the, uh, we're going to land back in the monster formation, like Missouri circuit 2009 or whatever. Uh, and you're just three down linemen. And then we're just going to start running everybody everywhere. We saw like a dude cut me off and we're going crazy. Sorry. You saw like the coastal Carolina got flagged a couple times last year because they put three guys on the left side uh, receivers. They had one on the line, the one next to him on the line, and then a guy back behind the line. And so that middle receiver is not eligible. Right. And these refs got fooled every time because that middle receiver would come back like he was going for a screen and then come block. And the inside guy would loop around and, and go out for a route. Uh, and they actually got a touchdown call back, I think, at the bowl game where it was they, they was called ineligible. But it, the guy was not ineligible. And it was just a, a, a truly unique formation weirdness. I think some people tweeted that out and maybe some, some Big 12 teams have played around with that. But just this idea of like. I'm not only going to put you in conflict, I'm going to fool you about who you're in conflict with by changing formation. I think that uh, flipping the axes is going to be a really interesting development in football going forward. As we get, you know, positionless football, you start to get more and more guys that can kind of be anywhere. And you start thinking, Hey, maybe we're not just going, you know, X and Y, maybe we're introducing kind of Z and crosses and, and some stuff that's, that's different. Uh, on that, real quick, Oklahoma ran that against Iowa State in the Big 12 Championship game. I did a, that full breakdown of it where they motioned the receiver out, um, and then Iowa State was just mass – or sorry, it was Florida. And they were just massively confused on who was eligible, who wasn't. Yeah. Um, ended up getting like a pop pass to Austin Stogner at the scene. There's a, Again, if you search my name and uh, – I forgot what, a, what word would be in that video – uh floor if you search my name in florida and go go to videos i think it'll come up but yeah they oklahoma ran that from the coastal carolina and parker as you know i say a lot of things about lincoln riley and other people stealing things i'm okay i promise i can say it the other way around it works that way that's hilarious uh Keegan, we should publish we should publish our dms as no, a uh, we shouldn't preview. no we shouldn't we shouldn't at all no we get we get canceled for that here in big 12 country oh man uh, so you can check out all of Keegan's videos on Twitter. He posts everything there. Most everything. If it's not on the Patreon, you greedy little son of a bitch. Uh, at Twitter, at Keegan Renault, K-E-G-A-N-R-E-N-E-A-U. Of course, uh, you should be following Parker on Twitter as well, at Stats O-War. And keep an eye out. I'm doing self-promotion. I hate it. Sorry. CFB-graphs.com is your... Uh, advanced stats uh, leaderboards and data website got some cool things coming uh, version 2.0 I'm going to have rolled out the week before the draft and so that'll be new and different and look really cool and feature some team pages and some player stats that haven't been online before so um, cfb-graphs.com uh, is, is a website you should check out as well just gonna go ahead and pull that one up now <clears throat> I like smart things and make me smarter that's awesome all right guys this has been a ton of fun and really informative um I will probably have you both on the show in the future as we break down and rank some of these position groups in the Big 12 um, based off of where we think are the most important ones. Excited for that. You guys have been awesome. Keegan, Parker, uh, anything else you want to plug? No, I, I have some exciting news. I've said it and I've hit it at it, teased at it for it seems like months now, but starting to come to a head i'm excited and anybody that listens to this that's heard me on this before I, I and i know parker's interested in it as well but um I, i'm really excited to see what this can turn into and i'm not going to sit here and say it's going to be cfb underscore graphs.com at all but i'm uh I'm, it could be something pretty cool so i'm excited it won't be none of y'all will get to see it parker may we may be able to
him in and see, give him an idea of what we're doing. But um, we'll have an announcement here soon. Thanks. Thanks for leaving me out here. Uh, and this is Keegan's final appearance on the podcast. No, I'm kidding. You guys have been awesome. Appreciate your time as always. And uh, we'll talk to you both again soon. Thanks a lot. We've hit about the halfway point in the college baseball season. So it's it's time to talk a little college baseball on the show again. And I'm very excited to have our good friends, John and Kyle from College Baseball Nation back with us today. Guys, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having us. When's it not a good time to talk about college baseball? Um, August? September college football season starting. Like I, I, I love college baseball. Okay, you guys That's are a little great. bit partial, <laughs> a slight bit biased as as you uh, run a college baseball website. So I, I can understand your standpoint, and I, I don't think I'll argue with you on it. Uh, here we are, halfway into the season, and and I and I think the thing that we need to start with here is the big development that has come down from the NCAA uh, in regards to regionals and super regionals. NCAA Division One baseball, this is for baseball and softball, but today we're talking baseball, um, are going to decide the host schools for regionals and super regionals uh, at the end of this month. They're going to announce those the week of April 26th for softball and the week of May 10th for baseball. Uh, so schools have been putting in their bids for the opportunity to host. Now, I think there was a lot of confusion when this news started coming out. And as I understand correctly, the teams who will be chosen will still be based off of merit. Just the merit will come based off where teams stand at this point in the season, as opposed to the end of the season, like usual. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's right. So it's just a few weeks less uh, information to make those decisions about host sites. So I think at the end of the day, they're probably going to get it pretty close to right. But I mean, you know how it goes. The last few weeks of the season, if a team gets hot, we've seen it many times before, where a team plays their way into a, a hosting bid in the last week or even in a conference tournament, and that's not going to happen this year. Yeah, and the weird thing is that like you could have a host team, like a, a one seed, not be the host site. Like You could have someone play, because they'll still do that like regular thing. They're going to seed them like 1 through 16. And those things could get shaken up. And so like, you could have like Southern Miss be a host site, a host team or something, for example. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see if they uh, are start thinking about things kind of regionally. Like let's say there's a bunch of teams in the, like the 12 to 20 range that are in the Midwest or on the West Coast. Are they going to add in an extra uh, host site out there just in case? And then like what if none of those teams win at the end of the year? You know, is, yeah, like Ole Miss going to be hosting a regional and – Los Angeles or something crazy. Well, uh, and that's that's a question I want to have with the Big Twelve. You know, right now the top of the standings are you have Texas, TCU, Oklahoma State, and, and Texas, Texas. Three teams in Texas and Oklahoma. They're all right there, grouped together. Now I, I understand you also have Arkansas, who's probably going to get a regional host. They're they're in that central area. It doesn't feel like all four of those teams in the Big Twelve have a realistic shot to host a regional this year if you're going to try and see some semblance of balance, right? Like, I still think it's going to go to the teams or the teams who are deserving at that point in the schedule. But it also makes you wonder if they might provide some sense of balance, like maybe that 16th seed instead of being another SEC team as a team out west that, that's just on the edge because you want to have an extra side out west to try and handle travel more this year than you even normally do. Does that does that seem like a realistic thing, or do you still think it's going to be purely based on merit? I think my understanding is it's going to be mostly based on merit, but we'll see how that actually plays out. We 
fit, like literally had this conversation earlier today, Kyle and I did trying to figure out can four big 12 teams get a host site because we just released a, a projected field for today. Ultimately we leaned towards three and that's what we, we projected. Uh, that 16 spot, it's basically, you, you hit the nail on the head, exactly the conversation that we had. We ended up putting Southern Miss in that spot, uh, a team that's outside the, the power conferences. But Stanford was one of those teams we considered, kind of for some of that same reason, uh, is that you know, another West Coast team that could help fill in some of those uh, auto bids from the West Coast to put into a regional. I, I am. It's going to be really interesting to see what teams get it. Um, for the Big 12, those four teams feel like they're pretty. They're they're in good standing. I will be curious. I had a, our friend Randy Heights on the show, and his argument was: if you are a non-Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, Oklahoma, you're you're almost more concerned if you see all four teams get hosting opportunities because it tells you that maybe the committee believes those four teams are that good, but it's going to hinder the opportunity for another team to even make it in the field because if those four teams all get hosting, like how do you view the rest of the field? I'm curious, you guys' thoughts on that. The Big 12 right now, it feels like it's those four, and then there's a whatever fifth team, if one can kind of rise to the top and make postseason. But if you did actually see all four teams as a host team on May 10th, what kind of impact would that have for the rest of the Big 12? That could end up, like you could end up seeing all those four teams beat up on the other teams and really drag down uh, the other RPIs. I, I yeah. think that's, that's how RPI works. Like you could have... Oh, those four teams that we mentioned beat up on Baylor and Oklahoma and West Virginia and Kansas State. Those two, those four teams that are like right there on the uh, on the edge for us on the bubble. Yeah, I think in order for all the top four Big Twelve teams to get host sites, that really is just going to be a reflection of the fact that they must have been beating up on the bottom half of the Big Twelve because otherwise it's just going to be hard for them to all amass enough wins and and get that RPI there, uh, right? Now, all of them actually, if the season ends today, their RPI is, I think, the top four are all in the top 20 in the RPI, if I remember correctly. So, you know, if, if the season ended today, it would be pretty reasonable to think that there'd be four Big 12 hosts. But for instance, TCU and Oklahoma State haven't played each other, and Texas hasn't played really any of the, the other big three schools in the conference. So there's going to be some losses racked up somewhere in there. And unless they just go on and sweep all the bottom teams of the Big 12, uh, yeah, I think the ceiling is, well, the ceiling's four teams, but I think reasonably maybe three teams hosting. Well, we ended up leaving Oklahoma State out, I think, from the same kind of reason. We think that they're probably like third or fourth at those four. And if they get beat up by those top three teams, that could drop them out of the host site. They're still solidly in the tournament for sure. That's kind of our, our reasoning there. Yeah, we're going back and forth there on whether to give Oklahoma yeah. State or Texas Tech that, that last uh, host site from the Big 12. For this iteration, we leaned Oklahoma State, but um, it's, I, I mean, honestly, so just to, to rip that Band-Aid off Texas Tech fans, right now we have Texas Tech as a projected two seed, which I think their ceiling is probably like the number two overall seed. So like that, there's a huge range in our mind where Texas Tech could end up, I think, come the, the end of the year. Yeah, for, for Texas, I mean, depending, I know they're going to announce the seed, the regional host on, on May 10th. Now, I don't know when they will officially decide what those are, if that's going to be, you know, at the midnight hour ahead of time. They've got Abilene Christian this coming weekend, weekend off for the first time with, from Big 12 play, but so far they've beaten Baylor, Oklahoma, Kansas, Kansas State. After Abilene Christian, it is something of a murderer's row for Texas. They go to Oklahoma State, they get Texas Tech, and then they go to TCU three weekends in a row. I mean, Texas sits atop the Big 12 standings right now. They're kind of in the driver's seat. But 
by far the the toughest stretch any Big Twelve team is going to go through is is Texas over the next month or so. This is one of those examples of a team where maybe they get a they get a host, maybe they they're chosen as a host side, but we come back here in in three weeks and they've lost three straight series and they probably shouldn't have been, but we didn't know as of yet. I am curious with you guys' thoughts on Texas with where they stand right now. Again, they've beaten on the teams you're supposed to beat. They haven't beaten anybody in the Big 12 that we would say is of note at this point, unless you want to quibble about Kansas State. How do you view Texas right now? Is it still a, a wait and see, or do you feel like this is maybe the best team in tech in, in the Big 12 right now? That's that's our answer today. So we, we put Texas as the number three overall seed in most recent projections. And that's only they're only going to get that if they're they're winning the Big 12 when it comes time to to picking regional hosts. They have uh, at this point a couple game lead on Texas Tech and uh, a little smaller lead on TCU Oklahoma State. I think obviously their season is going to go the way of that. And it, it comes down to do you believe that Texas is the team that got swept opening weekend at the college baseball showdown? Or do you think Texas is the team that swept South Carolina, which has gone on to be a, a really solid team? Uh, I think the, the perspective I'm taking is that that week one uh, performance was an anomaly. A high storm in Texas and a lot of a lot of Texas schools didn't do well that weekend, uh, opening weekend. And since then, Texas has looked like a, a totally different team. They have bats waking up. They, they I wouldn't call them offensive yet, but they have now the offense to go with a pitching staff that makes them, in my mind, look like an Omaha team. And I've been the concern about Texas the past few weeks. I mean, before Kansas State, really, you know, they did well against Kansas with a stretch. Against Oklahoma, they had some tough games. The bats didn't seem to get going. Against Baylor, kind of a similar thing. Like, it seemed like the offense was was hitting a weird mark. But then these last couple of weeks, I mean, they, they beat Kansas State, swept Kansas State like 1,000 to 5, I think, was about a pretty good representation. That's um, about right. Yeah, they did a good job against Kansas, winning that, sweeping that series handily. Um, you know, a couple of midweek games, and we can quibble over Anim Corpus Christi and Stephen F. Austin, but when you beat those two teams and combine twenty-three to five, like the off the the pitching is there, but the offense seems to have finally caught up at the right time for Texas. So if you are a Texas fan, you got to be feeling good about where this team is right now, heading into an, a nice weekend series with Abilene Christian, but then a a really tough stretch in the Big Twelve. Yeah, and their their offense has been real electric the last like week or so. I think. Uh, shout out to their Ivan Melendez. He had a, just an electric week. He hit five fifty six over the weekend, two doubles, six home runs, and sixteen RBI. Yeah, he that's had, just uh, crazy. Seven seven home runs in six games. So, uh, yeah. and that, that brings him up to a total of eight home runs on the year. So, <laughs> sound like just this Howard decided to wake up. <laughs> so. You guys have mentioned RPI, and I want to ask you about that. It, 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 similar to what we dealt with with the NCAA, the, the basketball tournament, seeing teams in the Ken Palm or in the uh, the net ranking, where you're like, okay, they're they're ninth in the net, but they haven't really played anybody. Like, congrats on your twenty and three record, but you know you've got zero quad one or quad two wins. Obviously, there's no such thing as quad one and two with with baseball. We still use RPI, but sitting atop the RPI standings as of Wednesday night. Is Fairfield at fourteen and zero in a conference that's only playing conference games? How strict is can is the RPI going to be used in in ranking and determining teams by the committee this year? 
Yeah, I think that's a question that no one knows the exact answer to. I think the obvious, uh, there has to be some give because uh, the RPI is only really useful on a national scale, scale when you have uh, non-conference games. And if your conference as a whole chose not to play non-conference games, the RPI is, is, is useless. Really, the only thing useful then is conference standings. And so I think it's going to be safe to say that for conferences, for teams that played non-conference games like SEC, ACC, Big 12, Pac-12, RPI is going to be at least as reliable as it normally is, which is, it's never amazing. But I think what's going to happen is uh, those regional representatives from like the Midwest, for instance, they're going to basically say, hey, the Big 10 deserves five teams and put that to the selection committee and the committee's going to have to say like, well, you know, because we didn't have non-conference play, we only do three or, you know what, we, we think that's legitimate. They deserve five and RPI is just going to be totally out the window for teams like that. So looking at the big 12, we talked about Texas, TCU, Oklahoma state and Texas tech. They all feel like barring major injuries that send them on slides. They all feel like locks to the postseason, whether they host or not. After that, I've looked at you guys' projections. I've looked at a couple of other ones, baseball America and D one. And it, and it feels like it's those four and nobody else. West Virginia's at four or five in conference play, but 12 and 14 overall. Baylor's at three and six. Oklahoma's at three and six. They have overall winning records. Kansas State got the nice series win over Texas Tech, but they're two and seven overall. I, I, no offense to Kansas. Eh, probably not this year. Of those teams, can do you believe that one of them will be able to find a way into postseason play, or is this a a four team Big Twelve when it comes to postseason this year? I'm pretty confident that it's a four team Big Twelve tournament bid this year, uh, but yeah, one of those teams I guess has a has a chance to. You mentioned Baylor; they're twenty two and eleven overall, three and six in conference, but they have a sixty nine RPI, which is the highest of those. Not like that we didn't mention like the non four, um, and then I think it was Oklahoma after that seventy two. Um, so yeah, those two teams are like have the next highest RPIs, which I don't know, it's it means something. I think this year we kind of already touched on that. Yeah, I think that's fair. And both Baylor and Oklahoma have already played Texas and TCU, mm-hmm. and so you got to feel like at least you got those teams behind you. So they're both, they're going to rack up some, some wins in terms of if I had to to place money on one of them, my gut would be Oklahoma. Oklahoma is definitely more talented than Baylor, but Oklahoma is also fairly young and has uh, on any given day, really high ceiling, really low floor, just a little bit inconsistent. We saw them go into Fayetteville and, and beat Arkansas. And we've seen them lose some, some pretty questionable games as well. So um, I think hopefully you know, hopefully for the Sooners that the, the, the young guys on that team will start to mature. And um, they have a pretty tough test this weekend at Kansas State. That's a series that you kind of feel like if you're Oklahoma or if you're Kansas State, to be honest, it's not, it's kind of a must win series at this point. You can't keep losing big 12 series and hope to make the NCAA tournament. Yeah. I think OQ, Oklahoma and Baylor make a lot of sense. As you mentioned, they both played two of the better teams. Um, so they've got more opportunities ahead of them. You know, obviously Kansas State for Oklahoma this weekend, which is a big one. You want to get two out of three in that one. And then for Baylor, uh, they are they're heading to Kansas to face the Jayhawks. Uh, it feels like I was a little surprised when West Virginia dropped the series to Baylor this past weekend, but I think it kind of told me 
what I need to know about West Virginia, that this isn't a, a, a bad team, but they've kind of like Texas benefited from the schedule that they played. It feels like Baylor and Oklahoma are, if another team is going to rise up from the Big 12 and make the postseason, it's going to be whoever kind of comes out of those two teams, which is interesting because they face off to end the regular season. Uh, Oklahoma heading down to Waco. That series might be a, the winner of this series is, is setting themselves up for a postseason bid. So it's going to be a really interesting one there down in, down at the end of May. Definitely. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, I think, pretty important probably for both those teams. It could be a little bit of a play-in series. Also, oddity of the schedule, I looked at Oklahoma's schedule. They play at like they play against Tech in Amarillo on a Tuesday night. Yeah. It's kind of weird. <laughs> yeah, and they have another midweek against Oklahoma State coming up. So well, I, that I mean, makes sense. Yeah, that, that one doesn't. Makes, so, but like at, at the very least, though, they have. Uh, I mean, if you look at OU's schedule, no one is outside the top 125 in RPI. So, like OU has their chances. Like, if they win games, OU will be in the tournament. Like, that's just pretty much factual. Like, it's not like they're at the mercy of uh, of other teams losing. They have a lot of a lot of chances to prove themselves. The only non-conference series they have left is Georgia Southern, who's 19 and 13 overall right now. So. Okay. Uh, no, sorry, wrong team. <laughs> Wait, that's Georgia State, right? That's yeah, I know. I said wrong team. <laughs> I, mean, I realized. Uh, uh, yeah, I, just looking at your projected regionals, you guys just posted it today. Uh, that would be Wednesday night when we're recording this. So everybody do yourself a favor. If you're not already, go follow College Baseball Nation on Twitter. That's at College Ball Nat. Uh, it's one of my favorite. Look, I, I love having you guys on the show. I, I appreciate you joining us. I know you guys are busy. This is the big time of year. Um, but it's a lot of fun to have both of you here. Always appreciate your time. And I'm 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 psyched. I am psyched for this weekend. I get to watch OSU travel to TCU in a series that puts my stomach into knots and feels like uh, probably a, one of these next two between TCU and and Texas feels like they have to win at least one of those if OSU wants a shot at hosting a regional. I think if they go 0-2 in those series, they're they're not going to hear their name called on, on May 10th. Does that, that feel pretty accurate to you guys? Yeah, saying that Oklahoma State already lost that series at Texas Tech because we kind of imagine the pecking order where three teams get in. You can't go 0-3 in those series, really, if you want to have a, a good shot without really being at the mercy of a lot of teams around you losing. <laughs> yeah, that feels fair. Hey, no one beats Texas Tech at Texas Tech, so it's not no – it's no shame to lose in <laughs> Lubbock. Good grief. They haven't lost a series there since, like, what, 2018, I think is what I saw. Yep, I think that's right. It's wild. And they just absolutely embarrassed TCU. They run-ruled TCU in game three this last weekend, which, yeah, I mean, that offense can get on you in a hurry in Lubbock. Yeah, that's wild. Guys, I appreciate you as always joining the show. Uh, do me a favor, where can everybody uh, check out all the work, great work you guys do covering college baseball? Uh, websites at college uh, collegebaseball.info and then at collegeballnet. Like you said, Philip, we're on Twitter, Instagram. Love chatting college baseball with fans. Go give them a follow on Twitter. Check out the site. Subscribe to the podcast. I do. John, Kyle, as always, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having us on. Thanks.
Social Podcast Network.